Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. Warning! Binge Mode features adult content. Much like the show Game of Thrones, about which we are talking. If you watch Game of Thrones and you're fine with it, you'll probably be fine with this podcast. If not, the Ringer NBA show is very good. And now, Binge Mode. You're summoned to King's Landing to swear fealty to the new king. This is a royal command, my lord. If you should refuse to obey... I won't refuse. His grace summons me to King's Landing, I'll go to King's Landing. But not alone. Call the banners. All of them, my lord. They've all sworn to defend my father, have they not? They have. Now we see what the words are worth. Welcome to Binge Mode. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, Woo! now that he's proven that the rumors of his demise were unfounded, That's right. it's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Put me in the van. Do Ready not, for battle. Do not put me behind the glovers. No. I want to lead the van. Jason, we are going to war. I think we have to. For all the Thrones fans out there, we're re-watching the entire series, all 60 episodes. We're deep diving one episode Let's at go. a time. Spoiler warning for all of you out there. We're going to be going deep on details from the show, from the books, from this season, from beyond. Green Boys, seasoned battle commanders alike, you're all welcome here. You're all yes. welcome here with us. Join our army. Strap on your armor. Let's discuss season one, episode eight of The Pointy End. Let's go. Before we defend the honor of our house, mm -hmm. let's take a quick trip down our very own King's Road, offer up a brief refresher on what actually happened in this eighth episode. In King's Landing, the Lannister forces carry out a massacre of the Stark household. Mm. Sansa is taken prisoner. Arya manages to escape with an assist from the dancing master, Serial Pharrell. The master of our hearts, really. In Winterfell, meanwhile, Rob receives a letter from his sister Sansa and promptly calls his banners, recognizing that this was really ghostwritten by Cersei. He then feasts his bannermen as a very tender goodbye yes. with, uh, with a little bran muffin and then marches south to war. In the Vale, Cat learns of Ned's imprisonment and Rob's march to war. Lysa refuses to lend her support. Meanwhile, walking out of the Eyrie, Tyron and Bronn are captured by members of the Hill Tribes. Tyrion manages to talk his way out of it, as he always does, co-ops the tribes to his cause and makes his way to Tywin's camp. Having a goat really helps. Yeah. At the Wall... <laughs> Meanwhile, news of Robert's death and Ned's imprisonment reaches John. Sir Alistair, always a huge fucking dick, yeah. provokes John into a little scuffle, which leads Lord Commander Mormont no choice but to confine John's quarters while he's in there. The uh, the dead man that they brought back to Castle Black, uh, spring back to life. Unfortunate turn of events there. Ghost, always looking out, issues a little warning, and John springs to action and fights off the whites with fire, saving the old bear's life. On the edge of the Dothraki Sea, the Dothraki are raping and burning and pillaging a village of Lazarines. 
Jorah explains to Danny that the raid is a way to raise funds for her coming invasion of Westeros. Got to buy those ships. You don't have a super pack. You got to get that money somehow. <laughs> Danny stops a group of riders from raping some Lazarine women, which pisses the riders off. They complain to Drogo. A fight ensues. Drogo is wounded, but it's seemingly minor. Danny, meanwhile, convinces him to allow the witch Miri Mazdur to treat the wound. Meanwhile, in the Riverlands, mm-hmm. Rob and Cat, son and mommy, reunited on the road. Aww. They know. That in order to engage the Lannister army, Rob needs to cross the Trident. But how? Doing so means crossing at the Twins, and crossing at the Twins means securing the allegiance of the Lord of the Crossing, Walder Frey. And that gets us right to this episode's big idea. So let's cut to the core of it, stick with the pointy end. The defining theme of this episode is building allegiances. This is a crucial, life-sustaining practice that takes many forms. One of them is having an allegiance to the realm. Ned gets a little visit from Varys down in the dungeons, and they have a discussion about who does Varys truly serve, right? Ned wants to know. And Varys' reply is perfection, sweeter than any wine. The realm, my lord, someone must. This is really an exceedingly rare point of view for any character to espouse, at least in a way that isn't clearly transparent, self-serving bullshit. And it's basically a luxury that Varys has because he's not from Westeros, right? Like, he's not loyal to his own house, or he's not a bannerman to another great house. He's not from the Seven Kingdoms. Now, We've seen him in the dungeons with Valyria whispering, the wolf and the lion. We know at this point that there's something more going on than a totally altruistic, totally pure for the realm mentality. We'll come to find out more in time over which house or which Mm. kind of ruler or which ruler in particular he might actually want to support. But at this moment, He is the closest thing to a free agent, right? He is signed on with the greater good. And that is not the case, really, for anyone else. Much to Varys' chagrin, you know, we see a lot of other examples in this episode of characters attempting to build allegiances in another form. Yeah. These allegiances are really kind of the pillar that supports Westerosi society in a world without contracts, without lawyers. It's your word. When Rob decides to call his banners after getting Sansa's letter, um, he says to Meister Lewin, they've sworn to defend my father, have they not? <laughs> I try. I can't do him that so well. That's your <clears throat> Lewin says they have, and Rob says, now we see what their words are, are worth. Um, hinting that it's not always r- a reliable thing to depend on these bannermen. After all, Roose Bolton mm-hmm. is one of... Rob and the Stark family's bannermen, and they've had many, many problems over the centuries. Um, and you see it when Rob feasts his bannermen. He has this um, it's kind of dust up with great John Umber. Mm-hmm. It would be natural for a bannerman to test a young lord. Right. After, you know, many years of, of being used to Ned's authority, you'd want to test this young guy. Maybe I can get something out of it. Could I get a couple acres of land? Could I get another river? Could I get something? Let's see how weak this guy is. He didn't gain anything. He definitely lost a couple fingers, though. He did. But this would be a natural process, and Rob takes it in stride. He understands that, okay, I put the Great John in his place. 
I made my point. Right. There's no need to go any further. He actually uses it as an opportunity That's to right. show that he can be mature, that right. he can be, he can be stout and courageous. And he says, doubtless, yeah. the great John only meant to cut my meat for me. This is after the great John goes to unsheath his sword. Is bloody tough. Really amazing how everyone reacts to Grey Wind, a dire wolf, sure. bounding across the table, ripping off a few digits. Sure. It's just like a normal thing that happens at every family meal around these parts, apparently. But it's it's kind of it's fascinating to see the dynamic play out in this scene because the bannermen have to earn Rob's trust, but right. Rob also has Very, to earn it's crucial. theirs. It works both ways, right? Much like this podcast. Hey. With us. And when Umber then later questions Rob, the second time in the episode when they're at Rob's war tent out on the road and they have captured a Lannister spy, right? And Rob makes the decision, the controversial decision, to let this man go, to not take his life. And I'd like a little voice work from you here. I'm just, I'm going to go ahead and request it. What does is, what is the great John say? Are you touched, boy? Are you touched, boy? And what does Rob do? A little less patient this time right. around, right? Call me boy again. Does Rob have his men's trust or not? This will be a right. pivotal question for him and ultimately a very costly question for him. Well, Rob passed the first test in, in having Grey Wind attack uh, the Great John the first time. He handled it himself well, showed mercy, he handled himself well and was strong. They haven't seen him fight yet, for real. Right. So nobody knows. Over in the veil, you get kind of a picture of what happens when there are populations within a region who aren't sworn mm -hmm. to the lead house. The hill tribes aren't loyal to the Irons. They hate them, in fact. These are the remnants of the first men from the Andal invasion who, who were the original kingdoms of the veil. They, they fled up into the hills and they've carried this enmity you know, for their entire history. Um, they've been a severe test for the veil over the centuries. They're not so much of a threat now, but you know, this, these are the things that a Lord would constantly have to wonder about. Who are the people who, who don't have my back? Who are the people who are trying to displace me? Right. That's an important thing for people to understand, right? Local yeah. doesn't necessarily mean loyal, Yes. right? Like it's not just about geographic right. proximity or regions. The regions define a lot of the relationships and allegiances on this show, being, being regionally proximate to someone can, can often make that person your enemy. One of the things that we see in this episode begin to learn here and then see play out over the course of the series is that when you lose that allegiance, when you lose your bannerman, it can have dire costs. Yeah. And it's not apples to apples because blood riders aren't really bannermen, but, you know, lieutenants, people yeah. who are in theory there to help you achieve your goals and to further your cause – What's happening across the narrow sea with Danny and Drogo? While Drogo chooses to side with Danny, I mean, he's just smitten. He's just he's he's blinded by love and affection. It is touching. Sun actually. and stars, moon of my life, and so he he fights with Mago, one of his riders, and this sets into motion a really alienating series of events because Mago says that this is super rude, but he says that a call who takes orders from me. <laughs> foreign whore hey. is no call and <laughs> what do we see unfold over the course of the next couple episodes if you lose the allegiance of the people who are supposed to be loyal to you That's and right. supposed to be fighting alongside you you're fucked and we also see this play out in another sort of not identical but kind of comparable way 
where dis- deliberately dismissing your sworn shields can also have dire consequences. And Kingsguard are supposed to serve for life, right. but Cersei and Joffrey make the really uncommonly rare decision. It would have been sho- it would have been shocking to the realm right. that this would happen. This is not a thing that people do. Right. This is not the norm. And also, this is one of the most notable warriors in recent right. history. Sir Barrison yeah. is a legend. Right. Legend. This is like this is like being like Jordan. Like right. you're, you know, Mike. Jordan, you should retire. Yeah, now. you're like a, a little step or two slow here. Right. Step or two slow here. So why don't you go try baseball again? They're idiots. He's he's a legend. They're idiots. And we see how the consequences of allowing an allegiance to fall apart can play out. What happens, though, when things are not so cut and dry, when the decision is not clear, when your allegiances are in conflict with each other? We see a lot of examples of that in this episode, including with John. Yeah, you need to manage these things uh, somehow. The thing about allegiances is they're a... Um, a stability-inducing mechanism in a world that can be very unstable. John wants to flee south, naturally. He wants to go march with Rob once he hears about Ned's arrest, but Mormont appeals to the allegiance that he made to the Night's Watch and the words he said. Um, Even then, John can't resist attacking Alistair because Alistair's a huge dick. Not just a bastard, but a traitor's bastard. Blood always tells. Blood always tells. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's still loyal to his family. He can't help it. You know, he, and more than that, he wants to, he, he feels as someone who's an outsider, even in his own family, that he wants to earn that place. Right. That's one of the really fascinating yeah. dynamics there is that he's grappling with trying to return to the place that he never really felt at home. That's right. Right. But he does have a genuine love and affection for, obviously not for Kat, who fucking hated yeah. him, but for Ned. For Rob, certainly for Bran and Arya, we see a really sweet interaction between those characters in the early episodes. You know, this comes up in much later seasons with with John and Sansa and people saying, "Well, like, did these guys even like each other? Yeah. What was going on there?" So John's connection to the members of the Stark nuclear family are tenuous, yeah. but it's it's not something he's ready to let go of, and. That's natural. It's hard to let go of things. We yeah. see that with Sansa as well in this episode. Really because tragically, too. Man, Just she's... pathetic and very, very, very heartbreaking. <laughs> I mean, it's sad because yeah. the illusions have been shattered now. Yes. Uh, you know, there's that moment where... They'll be shattered again, though. Uh, yeah, there's that moment where the hound grabs her and she's like, I'll tell the queen. Who do you think sent me? Oh, I mean... Dagger. And then the way she had... You know, she she begs for her father's life. This is her father. But she's also clinging in some way to this dream that somehow Cersei and Joffrey are good mm-hmm. people. That there's a you know there's a goodness there that she's imagined. Right. She's appealing to something that doesn't exist, That's but right. that she believes does. And she makes that pathetic appeal in the <laughs> throne room for mercy for her traitor father. And she yeah. and then she goes on to admit that he must be a traitor. But no, but Ro- but Robert and and Renly must have tricked him somehow. And right. please, 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 and it's milk of the poppy. Absolutely pathetic and very, very sad. Always blame the chemicals. If you're looking for an out, guys, <laughs> just right. a little pro tip there. Two, right. two great little tangential points about the Sansa uh, scenes in this episode. Yeah. One, reminiscent of something that, well, you know, at the time we haven't heard yet, but now watching, it really stands out in hindsight. The way that she is speaking, the things that she's saying, the factors that she's weighing, whether to forsake her own family for the Mm -hmm. pursuit of the thing that she's always held dear, right, riches, glory, or whether to try to protect her family and let all that go, 
Jamie, much later on, will say that one oath always comes at the expense of another. This is a really similar idea, even though the circumstances and the stakes are different. I think that's a theme that we will see recur throughout the series in a powerful way. And then the other really notable thing here is, of all these fuckers standing around (laughs) bullying poor Sansa, who's the only person who really comes to her defense? It's Littlefinger. He says, the girl is innocent, your grace. She should be given a chance to prove her loyalty. He had no problem fucking over his promise to Kat when it came to Ned, because Ned ultimately, I mean, he did try. To be fair, he did try. He couldn't, he just, (laughs) there's no help in Ned. But ultimately, he fucked over Ned. He truly wants to protect Sansa, because his allegiance to Cat, his love for Cat, what he sees in Sansa that reminds him of Cat, that is actually pretty powerful. Speaking of Cat. Oh, the sister. Sisterhood is not Liza? what it once was. Lysa receives a raven about Ned's imprisonment, Rob's march, and kind of just doesn't tell Cat about it for a while. Cat begs for her sister's support. The Vale is a strong region. The knights are powerful and they are good fighters and they are good on a horse. She could really use them. Uh, Lysa, I think you could argue, makes a wise decision in the end, mm-hmm. but it's a it's a ruthless decision. She chooses the safety of her house and the safety and her son, of her region right? and her son. Well, who- it just it stands out in such stark contrast, though, right? Yeah. Because everybody else in the episode is actively pursuing allies, yeah, actively trying to grow right. the support network and forces around them. And she's just like, "I'm good. Please leave. Yeah, <laughs> the sooner you're out of here, the yeah. better." Like, I have a young man who needs to suckle up my teat. <laughs> And she's, you know, it's it's out of fear, too. You can feel the fear because, you know, that young man is not prepared to rule. Sweet Robin? No. Sweet he's, little Robin? He's not ready. That kid ain't ready. Um, so she's doing the right thing for her region, but it is tough for Kat, who values family above all else, probably to the detriment of many, many lives and of the North and the Riverlands and of... And of and of politics in general. Right. And Danny's also fa- facing those competing questions, those competing allegiances, because, yeah. you know, in in fully securing Drogo's allegiance in the prior episode to finally head west, get on those wooden horses, right. get that iron chair, she has inadvertently set into motion a series of events that completely sickens her, right? The sacking of the city, the raping, the pillaging. And she says to Jorah, I thought the Dothraki didn't believe in money. <laughs> and he says, and as usual, he looks he looks great as he's saying it, golds to hire ships, princess, ships to sail to Westeros. She tough. Tough is responsible right <laughs> for the thing that's terrifying and devastating her. And then, of course, what we get the, the great line, the yeah. greatest line. You have a gentle heart. I do not have a gentle heart. Tell them to stop. But she does. That's the thing. Yeah, she really does. A little softy. A little softy there. Didn't I have mean, to rescue those people. Fast forwarding several years, what does she think is going to happen when the Dothraki set foot in Westeros? They're just going to not just gonna say, rape hey, and pillage various areas? <laughs> great to, it was right there in Drogo's speech. He yeah. literally said, well, I will rape yeah. your women. <laughs> I will take their children into slavery. He was. I got to say, he was it was a pretty it, clear memo. It was pretty explicit. clear set of action items. <laughs> yeah, we, there. we had a meeting on this. <laughs> <laughs> and then, just finally and very quickly, there are also some less formal, some more unofficial allegiances yeah. that take place in this episode because of tenderness, friendship. Sirio, who we will talk about more in a little bit, is willing to sacrifice himself for Arya 
because he cares. Like yeah. also because he's a fighter and a soldier and yeah. has, has always been prepared to to die a soldier's death. But she really won him over and they forged a special bond and he's willing to stand there to protect her as she flees. Even Septa Mordain yeah. sacrifices herself for Sansa, who was a fucking bitch a to her the whole time. But it speaks to something that we will see and be reminded of time and time again, that the leaders in this world need the ability to foster loyalty and to earn love and sometimes they have that ability innately and sometimes they need to work at it and sometimes they just will never figure it out bye ned (laughs) hey guys just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor binge mode is brought to you by direct tv now live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device plus you can subscribe to hbo and start watching game of thrones today and now back to binge mode All right, Jason, these characters don't just forge allegiances with other people. They also build allegiances with the gods, the old and the new. But the old gods really move to the fore in this episode. So, Maester, if you'd be so kind, please assemble the conclave, take us to the Citadel with you, and teach us everything we need to know about the old gods. The old gods, or the OGs, are simply the <laughs> gods of the children of the forest and the first men, the first human inhabitants of Westeros and their various descendants. Uh, the religion is most prevalent, dominant, really, in the north and is re- represented by the weirwood trees and the faces carved into them. Before the coming of men, uh, it was the children of the forest, these kind of small, magical little fairy Leaf. creatures that held sway on the continent. They worshipped the rivers, the forests, the streams, the mountains. It was an animistic kind of religion. And the Weirwoods embodied the gods to them. They carved the faces into them, and some said that they could see through them somehow with their their priests called greenseers. Um, and in those days, Weirwoods were, could be found all throughout the continent. Then, and this is in the, the ages before history, really, the first men started to arrive in the continent. They walked over from Essos via the Arm of Dorne, which was a land bridge that existed between the two continents. And in populating this land, they would clear the forests for farmland. They would use the timber to build their halls and forts. And in doing so, they cut down the weirwoods, not understanding what this meant. This sparked a war between the children and the men, and this war went on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. In an attempt to stop the first men from migrating over, the children using magic shattered the land bridge, and all that exists now is is the broken arm of Dorne. Didn't work. The war eventually ended, though, with the pact, which was a peace agreement signed, or whatever, probably just sworn, really. Not a lot of writing at that time. (laughs) Not a lot of formal (laughs) contracting. A uh, peace agreement between the children and the men. This was agreed upon in an island in the middle of the God's Eye where there are still many, many, many weirwoods. So about 4,000 years after the pact, another group of humans, another ethnic group, the Andals, arrived also from Essos, and they were much more uh, technologically advanced. They could build ships, and they came by ship. They had steel weapons. They had steel um, armor. And they brought also their religion, the Faith of the Seven, which has come to be the dominant religion of all the regions south of the Neck. 
Um, and more importantly, really, the inspiration for a segment name on this very <laughs> podcast. So yes. thanks, guys. We'd, it, otherwise, it would just be the tree or something. <laughs> Over the centuries, the uh, kingdoms of the first men fell to the Andal invasion. And as they fell, the trees fell as well. The Andals uh, saw these trees as, you know, um, apostate to their particular religion. So over the years, as as the Andals were were kind of uh, were invading and and conquering Westeros, the first men were pushed back, pushed back, pushed back until all they had was the north. The Andals tried again and again to breach the north, uh, but they couldn't get past Moat Kalen, which is this ancient tumble down forest that guards the King's Road through the neck. And you just can't get past it because on either side of it is this impenetrable bog. This is why, to this day, the North um, holds to the old gods because these are the descendants of the first men. They have the blood of the first men running through their veins. Um, And that's why the culture of the North is so different. Uh, Weddings, oaths, sometimes executions, and occasionally uh, way, 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 way back in the past, human sacrifices were, were executed, were done were performed in front of the uh, the trees. And even now, every castle of the north has a weirwood tree in their godswood. The one in Winterfell is thousands and thousands of years old. I love when we hear Osha, who is not of Westeros, right? right. Is a wildling, is from beyond the wall, and Bran discuss the weirwood trees and discuss the gods because it's a cool reminder that the same forces that separate people can also bring them together right like in westeros religion is a is a divisive thing oh the old gods oh the new gods maybe someone's going to come in and talk to you about the drowned god or the many-faced god and she comes in and says about the old gods they're my gods too right we're not that different that's the implication like you guys think we're this foreign invading body we worship the same thing that you do and really what's more human and common than that And she says, beyond the wall, they're the only gods. And then she gives him some very sweet and also very foreshadowy heavy yeah. insight. She asks if he can hear the gods, right? And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? It's only the wind. Right. And she says, who do you think sends the wind if not the gods? They see you, boy. They hear you. Yeah. Your brother will get no help from them where he's going. The old gods have no power in the south. The werewords there were all cut down a long time ago. How can they watch when they have no eyes? Two things right. there, of course. One, hey, maybe if Rob had more eyes on him, things would have gone better right. for him. Who knows? And also, of course, the way Bran will come to right. tap into the werewood network, to the treaternet. The treaternet. Very I important. thought you were talking. I thought you were going to mention the other white trunk. That she sees. <laughs> There's a big man. <laughs> Giant's blood. <laughs> or I'm the queen. Uh, yeah, Hoder has a big dick, in case you guys can't pick yeah. up on uh, what Jason's talking about. Great stuff. Yeah. Great stuff. Never, guys, you know, we don't make you a lot of promises, but here's one. If there's a penis to mention, right. we will mention it. There's a big man. <laughs> Oh, God. All right, Jason, as much as, uh, truly as much as we would all like to talk about uh, large prosthetic penises with you forever, it's time to head to the Sept to bathe in the light of the Seven. We're going to share seven of our favorite insights and observations from this particular episode, Lightning Round Style. 
You go first. What's number one? I love this moment when Tyrion uh, is reunited with his dear father and he's making the introductions between the Hill Tribes and his dad and Bronn. You know, Shaga, son of Dolph. And then he turns to Bronn and says, Bronn, son of... And Bronn just kind of looks and goes, you wouldn't know him. (laughs) So great. Another thing I love, number two here, is that after... Sir Alistair provokes John by not only calling him a bastard, but calling him a traitor's bastard, and John lunges forward. Alistair says, you'll hang for this, bastard. Well? Yeah. Not really. Well? Somebody else, maybe. What's number three? Mercy. Virtue or liability? Great question. When uh, Ned and Varys are having their little tete-a-tete in the dungeon, Varys asks him, why? Why did you tell Cersei that you knew about Jamie and the children? Why did you do this? Why are you so dumb, Ned? He says, Ned says, mercy. The madness of mercy. And Varys uh, sticks the dagger in. It was your mercy that killed the king. That's got to hurt. And it's, you know, he's right. But, and, you know, and it's interesting because uh, if you show mercy when you are the far superior player, say, as Robert did with Sir Barristan on the, on the field of the trident to the battle... That can help you build an allegiance. What Ned did, not so much. Number four here. We see a glimpse of the maester in Sam in this episode. because the intelligence. We, we really do. We really do see it. Sam is introduced to us as a coward who basically has nothing to offer and, even more damagingly, no belief in himself. Yeah. He doesn't think he has anything to offer. And he's starting to show that he does have something to offer. Knowledge, insight, awareness. When the blue-eyed corpses come back from across the wall when they're they're brought over after John and Sam say their words, Sam notices that they don't smell, a.k.a. they aren't rotting, they aren't decomposing. Something's off here with the bodies, right? He recommends burning them. He's the only one savvy enough to make this suggestion. Do they burn them? They do not right away. They're just taking their sweet-ass time. And later, Sam is standing around the fire, and he's explaining what actually happened here. He says they were touched by White Walkers. That's why they came back. That's why their eyes are blue. Only fire can stop them. John, who, of course, knows none of this, says, well, how how do you know that? And Sam says, read it in an old book. Yeah. Ironic that it's Sam, the newcomer, who has to remind these grizzled old veterans of the Night's Watch what they're actually doing there. Um, Number five. Tyrion to Bronn. If the day ever comes when you're tempted to sell me out, remember this. Whatever their price, I'll beat it. Oof. Some foreshadowing there from yeah. season four. Man. I love their relationship. That's my one of my favorite buddy comedy. It's great. Less great to always watch. Number six, our girl Danny, who She's a rookie, remember that. I don't wanna be I don't wanna be uh ungenerous here, but makes really an astonishing number of gaffes and poor decisions right after the attack on the Lamb Mem, right? So Kind of cool moment. Initially, the mother is born. The mother, not the mother of dragons yet, but the mother is born when she says, I have claimed many daughters this day. But she sure fucked up with which daughters she picked. Like, you got to scout the adoption papers a little more closely than that. And then Drogo only gets wounded because he's fighting because Danny pissed off his riders. And then after Drogo's wounded, Danny asks Miriam's door, who was just raped and attacked and saw her village destroyed by Drogo's men, to treat Drogo's wound. Here's the thing. All of those decisions are really bad, but here's what you always have to ask yourself with Danny and the dumb decisions she makes. Can they be 
ultimately deemed bad if they lead to dragons. Like, it's a cold calculus, but what actually matters? A loving husband and a full united Kalasar or winged beasts that can win you the entire world? Shout out to the prosthetic Hodor Dong. This is number seven. This is a big man. We great, have to great moment. We have to end on on Hoder's dong with the seven because uh, it's the size of seven normal penises put together. And also, Christian Nairn is is a legit uh, seven feet tall. So yeah. that's a you know they really were like give me something uh, the size of like a large soup thermos. <laughs> <laughs> well, that white meat is bloody tough, <laughs> and so is crowning this week's champion. Each episode, we're going to honor the person who we think played the game the best, advanced his or her cause in the most impressive way. And this week, we we deliberated on this one a lot, guys. We really did. But after convincing our producer, Zach Mack, that it was an acceptable emotional decision to make, we have opted to award this week's champion's purse to... Serio. Boom. In our hearts forever, if not on our television screens anymore. Uh, Only in this episode for a couple seconds, but he really made them count. He imparts uh, his last little great bit of wisdom to Arya when he faints Mm. the opposite way of what he told her he was going to do. And she says, you lied, you lied to me. And then he tells her, no, you know, like if you if you watched my body language, you would see that what I was telling you was a lie. And she says, I was watching. She says, no. Watching is not seeing, dead girl. The seeing, the true seeing, that is the heart of swordplay. He's the best. Yeah. He's the best. He he takes on an entire fucking army with a wooden sword, and then with half a wooden sword. For Sword of the Sea Lord of Bravos, that's not Incredible. A joke. You know who sucks? Marin Trant. <laughs> what a dick. Fuck that guy. Gotta ask, gotta do it, gotta Kill quickly, the quickly get to this. Is Sirio dead? Ooh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry he is. I know that there's a lot of, this is a big debate. There's people that I respect greatly who believe that he is alive. I just think it's, and you never know what, what George will do. I think he's dead. And he's also, you could hear kind of the screams in the background as Arya ran away. He's dead. I'm just, I'm not going to give up on this. I won't, I won't, I won't stop believing it even after the series ends. I'll take this to the grave with me. Um, guys. The years have not made Tywin or us kinder, but we still hope that you had as much fun with us today as we did. Uh, We also obviously hope that you will join us next time. We're getting to the end of the season here. Next one is a doozy. Season 1, Episode 9, Baylor, held up as one of the not only defining episodes of the series, but honestly an episode that changed the way people thought about television. So no pressure there. We're looking forward to discussing it. (laughs) And until then, please remember... Don't go looking for us to bend the knee in my lordia every time you take a shit. There's a big man. Hold on, put on your clothes. Hold on.